Let us pray. Lord, your love is so amazing and so divine. As we enter into this season of Lent as a congregation, as those who gather here to worship and to hear a word from you, I pray that you will pour out your spirit upon us so that in hearing your word that we might be made new. It is in the name of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Spirit, that I pray. Amen. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not hurt yourself. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all of this I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of the Lord. Lent is Pastor Carl Travis's favorite liturgical season. Writing on his Caring Bridge site from Fort Worth, Texas, he shares the wilderness that he knows the sadness that he knows that he will be dying early, that he will not finish things, that his life will end incomplete. He won't be able to share those embarrassing stories about his children at their rehearsal dinners, or he won't wait in hospital lobbies for his grandchildren to be born. He won't see those same grandchildren as their talents are used in service to the world and he won't talk them through all the changes that come with growing up. In Pastor Travis's vulnerable writing, he recalls a moment at an Ash Wednesday service. He describes looking down the aisle and seeing children and teenagers coming forward toward the Ash station. And he said of that moment of reckoning, he didn't know how he would find the words. Marking teenagers with ash and saying the words, remember you are dust and to dust you shall return. He says it's like quoting the theory of relativity to a third grader. With a rare exception, they just aren't ready to listen or to hear it. And I kind of join with this pastor and say, maybe none of us are. 
It's almost impossible to connect the sobriety of Lent with the alleluias of the resurrection. What I do know to be true is that our focus on Lent could be that we are to emphasize what God can do through us with all the dust of who we are. Lent asks of us, on behalf of our Maker, who are you and how will you serve? In Lent, we are invited to return and to remember that the sobriety of setting our faces to Jerusalem with Jesus will lead us each into the darkness of suffering and death. So maybe it is right to ask and to stumble before marking that sign of a cross in ash on children and youth and one another. Maybe it's right to ask who in their right mind would celebrate such? In the sobriety of Lent, how is it that we know who and whose we are as children of God? In today's scripture lesson, led by the Spirit, Jesus enters the wilderness and he takes on the intentional discipline of fasting. As his fully human side, he is famished, and this famished Jesus faces three temptations which require that he defend his identity as the Son of God. Jesus doesn't stop and question the Spirit, asking that detail about what's going to happen to me before I go down this pathway. Instead, what Jesus does is he faces that displeasure of what is right before him. The tempter turns to Jesus and asks, hey, are you hungry? Use that power that you have and turn this pile of rock to a plate of pleasure. The tempter entices Jesus to satiate his human appetite with some godly power turned and tuned to fix his own physical needs, to soothe the ache of his hunger. And the devil says, if you really are famished, and Jesus responds, no, it's written, I've got God's word to feed me for this place in the wilderness, and that is enough. And then that tempter takes Jesus out for a pinnacle moment at a lofty place. And throwing his arms wide to the horizon, the tempter says, you're up here with me now in this great seat of power, and the holy city is way down over there on that hill afar. I dare you. I dare you to throw yourself down. Because if you're really God's son, then he's going to protect you, right? And Jesus responds, no, it's written. I do not need to test God. And then that devil draws Jesus to a high mountain and he puts it all on the line. How about I give you the world? Look at the splendor. Look at the pleasure that is right in front of you. All you have to do, bow down to me. You know, like a dog takes a treat from his master's hand. Just say to me, I worship you, 
give me all your allegiance. And Jesus responds, get out of my face, Satan. I worship and I serve God alone. If only temptation and the nature of pleasure were that easy to resist. God's word is enough. I don't need to test God. I worship and serve God alone. Those phrases just don't quite cut it in the life I lead day in and day out. And so that's why I'm drawn to stories like that of Pastor Carl. In the wilderness of his living with a terminal disease, what he does is he points to those wearing ashes that are rubbed and smudged onto your forehead. And he says, these ashes remind us to check our privilege and to recognize Lent's invitation to know that God cares for us, God will provide for us, God will take our dust and make life out of that. Even though each of us is incomplete and together as the church, we are incomplete. God has marked us as God's own. And in God, whose word is indeed enough, God, who needs not our testing, we are called to worship and to serve. In 2000, at the 212th General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church, we elected the moderator Sigmund Ree, the Reverend Dr. Sigmund Ree. He was a professor of mission and evangelism at Union Theological Seminary in Richmond, Virginia, and he was 69 years old when he was elected. And his election happened 50 years to the day after he and his younger brother fled North Korea when the Korean War broke out in 1950. He was 19 years old when he fled. The age of our college seniors or our, no, our high school seniors or our freshmen in college. He fled because his family was persecuted for their religion and the oppressive North Korean political state. He left his mother, he left his father, a Presbyterian minister, and his four sisters. And his father, a clergyman, died in prison under the communist regime. 28 years later, when he was reunited with his sisters, he learned also that his mother had died. When Singman left North Korea, he entered the unknown, he entered the incomplete, and yet he trusted in God with the whole of his life. And this saint in the life of our church had an incredibly compelling story, and his story was not empty of suffering. Through God's grace, holding fast to his faith in Jesus Christ, he labored on. Everywhere he worked, he labored tirelessly for peace and especially for reconciliation. Back in Long Beach, California at the General Assembly, and I don't know if you know this, but when a bunch of Presbyterians get together, it's pretty orderly, pretty decent. We get that out of scripture, but we're fairly stiff sometimes when we gather as a body. 
But that first moment when Dr. Ree took to the podium to moderate the church, he had this way with people. He offered this gracious invitation and he encouraged, if not cajoled, those of us who were gathered there together to make sure before we left that assembly that we stopped at one of the art stations that were set up on the assembly floor. So in the midst of this huge arena that had been set for the General Assembly, there were large tables, and those tables were covered with this beautiful silk fabric. And spread along the silk were dozens of fabric markers. So he cajoled us, those of us who were gathered there, saying, I need you to write a message of Christ's hope on this fabric. I need you to sign your name on this fabric. My wife, Hassung, will make me a preaching robe and a stole so that wherever I travel as the moderator of the Presbyterian Church, I will not go along. I will take you with me. I will go with the gathered elders. My work will be our work, and our work will be the work of God. Dr. Ree knew he was a child of God, Christ's very own. And he knew that to do the work of Christ, he needed the collective energy of the gathered body. He participated in the authoring of a paper at Duke which says that the work of reconciliation, that work that we are called to do as Christians, it is a work that is still incomplete, but it is indeed the work of God that we must strive for. And I quote him here when I say, when Christians are passive bystanders and refuse to become constructive agents of reconciliation amidst such divisions and destructive conflicts, we are guilty of withholding love to a neighbor. What happens there is the love of God is not manifested in our lives, and we give life to a defective gospel. I don't know about you, but I don't want to give life to a defective gospel. I want to know that our work will be our work that gives God glory and honor. God's word is enough. And I don't need, we don't need to test God. I think what we need to do is worship and serve God alone. For nearly 20 years here at Idlewild, the Presbyterian women have been making stoles for confirmands. I have a stole that the Presbyterian women at a small country church in Mobile, Alabama made for me when I was ordained 20 years ago. And I wear it here, and I hear some of the comments like, hmm, that's a little gray. I wonder if you could clean that. Oh, look, there's a spot. You must have spilled the cup of joy. Or, in the communion line, people maybe read it as they're coming forward. This one's kind of strange. I'm coming after you, Reg. But there are also the treasure of the gathered saints on here. 
Annie, trust God and be who you are. We love you, Mom. And then there's the sense of humor. Our eldest child, who was nine at the time, wrote, Mom, boom until you bang. <laughs> Ministry takes some drumming along the way to get moving for the work of Christ. But about these stoles that our Presbyterian women make, on that Confirmation Sunday, mentors stand behind confirmands. And these stoles are a visual reminder of their home in this church, their belovedness as children of God. And then those mentors drape these stoles across their shoulders as a blessing, a telling to them that they may move forward in faith, that they may let their work be our work, and that our work together will honor God. Thanks be to God. Amen.